Hello and welcome to this week's Key Voices, conversations with folk in and around education. I'm Caroline Doherty. And this week we are talking about trusts as talent architects with the brilliant Mandy Coulter, who was a founder of Talent Architects. And Mandy has a long career in HR. And we are talking about the central importance of having a people strategy, really, within a trust. A lot of the developments in education workforce policy that have happened, how everybody is feeling around around COVID and the, the pandemic. Lots of really practical stuff from, from Mandy here about how to make your school or trust a great place to work. So I'm sure you'll find it really useful. As ever, the podcast is an opportunity for us to open up debate and discussion around topics. The views my guests and I are about to express are not the view of the key. For in-depth information on the latest issues in education, check out thekeysupport.com. Hello, today I'm joined by Mandy Coulter, who's coming back on the podcast and she is founder of Talent Architects. Hi there, Mandy. Hello, Caroline. It's great to be back again. Really nice. Although, um, you know, in this strange pandemic world that we live in, I remember being with you face to face after yeah. we've done a face to face event. Uh, <laughs> so it does feel like quite a long time ago since we since we spoke. Uh, but it's great to have you back. And it would be wonderful if you could tell listeners a little bit more about yourself um, and talent architects and what you do. Yes, thank you. No problem. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, well, I, I'm an HR professional by background, Caroline. That's, I guess, my bread and butter. It's what I've been doing for way too long, actually, well over a couple of decades. Um, and I've been really fortunate to work in a lot of different sectors. Um, and I always work in sectors that are incredibly people focused and, you know, um, have a really clear purpose, make a difference, I guess. You know, so I've worked in the NHS, I've worked in local government, I've worked with charities. Um, but I have had um, the honour, the pleasure of working with schools now for over a decade. Um, and I, I just love the sector uh, and, you know, really made it my home. You'll know that I was director of people at United Learning for many years, nearly eight years working with John Coles and others there through big period of growth. Um, and obviously it's now a very large trust. And I, and I learned a lot through that period about how different schools operate in different contexts, which was a real pleasure. Uh, and just over two and a half years ago, I set up Talent Architects. I'd published my book, um, Talent Architects, How to Make Your School a Great Place to Work. Uh, it's mainly aimed at school leaders, trust leaders, um, I guess I'd learned a lot in, in all my time working in schools and in other sectors about what makes a place a great place to work. And I really wanted to distill that into a very simple and easy read. Um, and that kind of kickstarted the launch of Talent Architects as a venture, um, which, which I did just over a couple of years ago. And it's a really simple mission. I just want to help as many schools as possible become great places to work. Um, I think the children in our schools deserve that. They deserve amazing teachers, support staff leaders, working with them day in, day out. Um, and it's just such a lovely thing to do. I work with lots of trusts up and down the country, sometimes individual schools. Um, I work with national bodies like the Confederation of School Trusts. Um, and I feel really blessed. It's great work. I, I love doing it. 
And and as you say, a noble a noble mission there, um, and a, and a great cause to get behind, making every school a great place to work. And um, you mentioned Confederation of School Trusts just then, and I'm interested to talk a little bit about the recent paper um, that you mm-hmm. wrote for them on trusts as talent architects. Can you tell us a bit more about about what you mean by that? Yeah, of course. So I think being in a school trust creates opportunities that you don't necessarily get if you're a standalone school. Um, And that also involves an opportunity to rethink differently how human resources HR works in the organisation as well. Um, You've got more capacity, uh, you've got more infrastructure in a trust to really help. So you know, I've worked with many trusts now, I've obviously worked in a very large trust, but a trust that didn't start large grew, uh, but I've worked with many trusts of very different sizes. And I think what I see with all of them is that they've just got that opportunity to maximise their offer as an employer, you know, whether it's career pathways across a trust, uh, you know, beyond one school, whether it's um, professional development that's so rich that couldn't quite be offered alone in one school, so subject expertise or phase expertise. It might be about the kind of employee benefits that they can offer because they can negotiate great deals for staff because of the size of the trust. Um, It might be about their commitment to well-being or diversity. And and the fact that you've got that capacity and capability beyond one school to really look at how can we as an entire trust be a great place to work that every school will benefit from. And I I think particularly because I've worked with a lot of schools that have come from very challenging contexts, had really high staff turnover, struggled with their reputation. And it's a bit of a chicken and egg situation, isn't it? You can only become that great school for children if you can get the great people and then keep them. And I think often for those schools coming into a trust, there's that real opportunity to have that wraparound support that can help you become a great place to work really, really quickly and get you the staffing you need to deliver for the children. So I have just seen through my own experience that there's a real power for trusts um, to be able to create that. And um, I just really want to encourage all trust exec teams, senior leaders, boards to really, really think hard about their overall people strategy and what focus they have on being a great place to work. Yeah, that's that's a really really good point there. And I guess, Part of of what can make that a little bit challenging is, um, you know, the difference in in size and capacity within those organisations, and the fact that there is a lot of a lot of growth, a lot of change, necessarily potentially a lot of kind of restructure and people moving moving about in order to sort of un- unlock some of that sometimes. And I think what's you know what's interesting is um, in your in your paper there you really talk about how workforce policy needs to to change so it could be better designed with with trusts in mind. So I'm interested to hear your kind of your reflections on on how how we can make it so that kind of all trusts if you like um, are able to, to, to become talent architects. Yeah, I mean, this is it's really interesting, isn't it? Because there's no question that policymakers have a, a really big role to play here um, in shaping the kind of employment offer we have in our sector. Um, and yet, a lot of the evidence shows us that it's individual school trust culture that really makes the biggest difference as to whether teachers and indeed other staff choose to stay. So it, it needs to be a, a, a partnership and a better partnership. When I I first started working in the sector 10 years ago, um, it really did feel like 
uh, you know, policy was not at all driven by trust structure. It was very much maintained schools. And I think that has shifted enormously and, and a massive credit to the Confederation of School Trusts, which, you know, is representing the sector as, a, as employers um, and obviously has a huge ability now to shape um, policymakers thinking nationally. I think that's been a huge benefit, um, but it still hasn't quite yet solved that gap. There is still an issue. And I guess it's challenging for the DfE, isn't it? Because, you know, half the sector are in trust and half the sector are not. Um, and hopefully that will change over the next few years. But I think they, they do need to be really mindful of the difference, the different governance structures, the different way trusts work, um, then maintain schools. And the other, the other piece of that, which has often frustrated me over the years, is there needs to be a better connection in with HR professionals. Because, you know, we've been working um, on these kind of issues for, for years, and often many of us have got experience outside the sector as well. Um, and we are the people that are often driving, shaping um, employment policy in our organisations. That's what we're employed to do. Um, and yet often, you know, we're ignored by policymakers as a, as a collective voice and a group. Again, that is starting to change. There are some really strong, powerful HR networks that have banged hard at the door of policymakers and are starting to be listened to. But I do contrast that with other sectors, like when I worked in health, where actually people with HR backgrounds work in government departments to shape policy around employment. Uh, and we don't yet have that, I think, in education. Uh, and I think that's a missed opportunity. So I'd like to see that change more. But for me, I think whilst all of that's really important, I think most of uh, the impact is within trust themselves. You know, I think if we all focus on building our own capacity and focus to be great places to work, the results for the children will come. Um, you know, it's, it's almost like it's the priority. It's not the secondary issue. It's the priority. We are nothing without great people. And I think if all trusts, no matter what their size or scale, can have that real focus, and effort and put the resource in, then, you know, we will immediately see a significant difference in terms of what it's like to recruit and retain staff across our sector, notwithstanding what happens at policy level. Yeah, and it's 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 really interesting, isn't it, that um, uh, a lot of uh, particularly in the in the earlier days of kind of con conversion and consultation with groups of staff about joining an academy trust. Um, a lot of that is about kind of employment, paying Lots conditions, choopy, mm -hmm. what is going to change um, for you as a member of, of staff about about being in a trust. And, uh, you know, uh, the sense, the sense being that in, in, most, in, in, in all cases, it would be in the trust interest for that to be a positive <laughs> improvement uh, in, in conditions. Otherwise, they'd lose quite a lot of staff quite quickly. Um, but that that sort of innovation, if you like, um, um, could could begin in a, in a trust uh, uh environment where it might have been a bit kind of locked at a local authority level do you think that's a fair um reflection yeah i mean i think what i see still quite a lot of is that um you know when schools are joining a trust there is a lot of focus on the nuts and bolts issues like getting chupy right and all those things which obviously are really really important and sometimes obviously it's it's there are some challenges in that conversion there might have to be restructures or whatever going on and that and that will dictate the agenda what I still don't see enough of um, our trust really saying this is what we stand for this is what we're about this is what's great about working for us um, you know this is what you're coming to really smart inductions there's still not enough of that 
trusts really setting out their stall there, if you like, um, as, you know, what are they about? Where are they different? And that sort of, you know, what would attract people to to work there, um, which which I think is is a sort of almost a point in the recruitment process that can that can get missed out. And that's where people go to sort of rumor and social media and do I know anybody that's worked here and what's their take on it and which you know sometimes can be really valid and sometimes can be kind of out out of date and on and unhelpful and if um if an organization doesn't sort of take control of its own narrative there about what sort of a place it is to work you could see yeah problems arising or you know not attracting the right right kind of people yeah. what you're I mean they to call do. it employer brand which is a bit mm. marketing speak but you know, my professional body, the CIPD, basically says, look, you know, whether you consciously create a brand or not, you will have one. <laughs> so absolutely, if you leave it to chance, there will still be a perception of you as a place to work. Uh, and obviously far better that you have thought about that and you've crafted it. And it's real, of course, um, and you're telling people about it. And I think there's a lot more to do in that space. I mean, even when I go into work with trusts now, um, to help them with their people strategy and their employer brand. I'll, I will always speak to staff in schools and even in trusts that have been long established, there's still a sense of we don't really know the trust uh, and what the trust is for. Um, it's all about the school. And I think what has changed over the years, I'm now hearing a really strong message from staff. They want to know about the trust. They want to actually feel that being part of this bigger organisation is a good thing and has some real benefits. And quite often the things they do see are positives, but they want to see a lot more of it. They want to see more of the senior leaders, hear more, get more access. And I think that possibly has changed quite a lot since, you know, Trust First came about. And it's often a bit of a surprise to senior leaders when I tell them that, that, you know, they know you're good people, they, they need to connect more with you so I, I think there's a there's more work to do uh, the Ajurio report came out didn't it about perceptions of trusts which I think highlighted this as well that senior leaders in trusts tend to be far more uh, in schools tend to be far more connected with the trust than teachers support staff those more on the front line um, because they've not necessarily seen the benefits again the pandemic has had a positive impact on that because you know many staff have felt like being a part of the trust had a huge benefit for them so I think that's a great platform for us to continue to to build on going forward yeah exactly and I think also a, a way to to network with colleagues at your own level as well as access to those senior leaders yes. without having the sort of barrier of of travel there and I think it's you know it's an interesting balance isn't it because you know particularly in that sort of negotiation and beginning the relationship of a school joining a trust it's kind of we don't we don't want people to feel like everything is changing or the school's losing its identity or autonomy too much um so maybe how do you kind of hold off a little bit but then interesting to see how that can evolve into the school going well actually we you know if we've, we've joined this trust what what do we get for it and what what's it about and we want to hear and know more um really interesting and it just underlines the importance of um having a, a, a means for surveying or you know somebody like like you going in and having those conversations to to unpick unpick some of that um, yeah. and the value there so thinking about um 
well, the pandemic, but also some of the policy changes and particularly in education workforce policy, it does sort of feel like the government um, has, you know, picked up on a lot of the the issues uh, that, that present around recruitment and retention, um, you know, initially. And obviously that's a big concern to the DfE. And we've obviously had the recruitment and retention strategy. But also issues like flexible working, uh, mm-hmm. which is something we've talked about on the on the podcast, and there's been a lot more um, about recently. The introduction of the early career framework and uh, and you know um, things around uh, around uh, CPD at all at all stages, and the um, the workload charter that that kind of came out uh, last year as well. So it does really feel like government are, are are taking steps in the in the right direction to sort of support all schools via policy. But I'm just kind of interested to hear what what you think the impact of some of these things uh, might have, have been and, and potentially what more still needs to be done to kind of bring education up to where some other sectors are in, in talking about these workforce issues. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's you've summarised some of the great stuff that they have done and, and genuinely um, I think some of the things we've seen in recent times are significant for the sector. Um, and I would hope will make a big difference. And, you know, things like the early career framework is, it, you know, it's fantastic to see that. And similarly, all the work we've seen recently on flexible working. Um, I think there's a couple of thoughts, really. One is that um, I think what we need from policymakers, though, is to make sure that um, the whole picture adds up to the messages and the commitments in those things. So, you know, if you take wellbeing and workload as an example, you know, in the wellbeing charter, Ofsted have signed up to that, you know, and, and there's lots of talk there about all organisations playing their part. And yet, in recent weeks, um, during a very, very difficult time in schools, we've seen inspections carrying on, we've seen a lot of stress from that, um, a lot of concern from that, and a lot of anxiety. So I think sometimes these things don't always join up, or certainly don't feel like they join up to those that are running schools on the ground. Um, and I know myself, you know, as a, as a trustee um, of an academy trust that our staff have coped brilliantly with a very challenging term and inspections. But hey, having that double was really, really tough. Yeah. So for me, sometimes there is that, you know what, this goes beyond just employment. It's about that broader policy drive and, and the decisions we take. Um, I guess similarly things like pay, which you know, the, the decisions that can be taken on pay can give lots of messages that might be counters to some of the work that's going on in the recruitment retention strategy. So a real joined up thinking approach is, is vital. Um, and then absolutely, as I said earlier, I think it's about um, helping schools and trusts to be equipped with the right expertise to bed these things in on the ground. And, you know, that's where my profession comes in. And that's, again, where I think there's a real value in trusts. Um, I am so pleased to see more and more trusts investing in great HR practice and recognising that HR is not just tea and sympathy. Um, It isn't just, you know, filing the paperwork. Uh, It's moved on leaps and bounds in 20 years in most other sectors and actually should be at the heart of decision making and helping trusts to become great employers and and take those initiatives and really apply them appropriately in the local context. Um, And, you know, again, policymakers really connecting them with that HR community. How are these things working? What could we do differently? What needs to adapt? And recognising 
that it is different in a trust than it is in a maintained school, I think is, is really important. Yeah, and, and I think what you said there are so important about the, the, the bedding the bedding in. Um, because I think, you know, often oftentimes, particularly working somewhere like the key, <laughs> you know, there's an announcement, there's an announcement, there's an initiative, you know, a lot of this stuff happens. Um, but, you know, does anybody have the time or the bandwidth to stop and go, hey, how might this affect us? How can we use this as an opportunity? Uh, you know, how can we use this as, an, as, 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 as something to think about through our context and, and adapt, as you say, um, rather than, oh, and here's another thing I have to worry about and, and, and see it as a positive to help you reach a goal rather than um, you know another another box that has to be ticked or another stick that I'm going to be beaten with if I you know my, my retention is down or whatever um, and I think I think that is that is so crucial and particularly um, you know and, and I was conscious actually when I asked the question saying you know bringing the education sector up to date with other industries and then I thought oh gosh that sounds quite that sounds quite negative um, but I think the reality particularly of things like the pandemic is, you know, we've we've all had a bit more access and understanding as to how other people do their jobs, or you know how they how they work, or what the options are, or what can be achieved. If you say, look, physically you can't go to your place of work, you know, what are you going to do? Um, and um, you know, and hopefully in that in that sort of spirit of of, of innovation and and reflection, um, you know, can can move can move forward. But it's you know there are lots of ways in which you know teaching and, and and the work of teaching is does not valued and recognized enough so it is almost a shame to say you know education is behind other sectors but i think as, as we've said it, it is the the reality because people employed in different organizations kind of demand more um and and and, and get more in 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 some ways to to suit the job to what they want to do with it um that would that would be my sense i'm interested to hear your thoughts yeah, a couple of observations on that, I think. I think, I mean, it, you know, it, there are lots of the sectors that are great places to work, and there are some and many that are not. And it's, you know, education's not necessarily different in that sense. There are some schools that are great to work at, and there are some that are not. Um, I think possibly what we what we haven't done in our sector is we haven't really, um, until recently, I think, really understood the fact that you know, being a great employer is not a nice to have. It's at the forefront of school improvement. I mean, Sir David Carter says this, you know, he tells me all the time, it's a school improvement issue, Mandy. It's a school improvement issue. And it's wonderful to hear him say that because it is, you know, how on earth can we possibly get great education for children if they don't have brilliant, highly motivated, talented teachers and indeed all the people that support those teachers um, to be able to deliver in the classroom. Um, and so really putting great people management at the heart of school improvement and that mindset is massively important. And there are trusts and schools that do that and do it incredibly well. And there are some that don't. And I think there's a lack of consistency in our sector on that. Um, and I think partly also as well, coming back to what I just said about the role of HR, I'm, I'm very lucky because I've worked in lots of other sectors and I connect with the HR community in many other sectors. Um, and, you know, I see people doing amazing things because their sector understands this in, in their context. They really understand they need great people, you know, whether it's a, a luxury brand or a supermarket or whatever it might be, they understand great people will deliver for customers 
And of course, that for them brings in the profit. Um, and therefore, their HR teams are doing amazing things and helping them to be great employers and are, are really influencing across the business in that way. And we've not had that in our sector. Um, we've had a very low level transactional HR model that frankly is very out of date. And so there's something about um, creating the space for that in our sector, which is slowly starting to happen. I've seen some great HR talent coming through um, and a lot of them come on my program. So I'm blessed to meet them. It's great to spend time with them. Um, and I know they're starting to go back and develop impactful strategy in their trusts. So that's really, really good to see. But you also need the leadership that's really open to that and allows things to be tried, to test things, to invest um, because sometimes these things cost money, but ultimately they'll deliver school improvement. Yeah. And again, you know, when you, you're in a trust, your biggest cost is your people. The biggest thing that's going to make a difference to your purpose is your people. And yet so many trusts still do not have a written people strategy. Yeah. And of course they have a school improvement strategy. Of course they have a finance strategy. Um, and yet often we are completely missing a clear strategy for the people that are going to make the biggest difference. And when I talk to trust leaders about that, it's a penny dropping because it becomes so obvious, doesn't it? Why don't we do that? It's so obvious. Um, and so we need great HR professionals working with CEOs, working with boards, working with top teams, making sure that is in place for every trust because, you know, then things get done, they get implemented, they get measured, they get monitored, um, you get feedback. Yeah, I think yes, that's 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 so true about having having a strategy there. And I guess you know, with 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 teaching, there is that, um, uh, or with running a school, let's say, you know, you have got that structured time where you know the school is open, lessons are being delivered. You've got your term time, you've got your holiday time, etc. And um, fixing on, you know, making sure that everything is appropriately. M- personed during during that time and you've got the right number of people and the you know columns add up on the spreadsheet and all of that kind of stuff has been so much the focus that um you know don't seeing beyond that and saying oh what if we had somebody who was amazing who couldn't give us a full week for example and we could do something flexible here or you know what it did do these people have to be qualified at this level could they is there a different way to train and you know and once you start sort of breaking that those models apart um the sort of innovation um can can flow from there but i guess you know quite often people do feel quite sort of it's right about having all of those right people on the boat doing the thing at the right at the right time and that's sort of where i'm limited and i can't kind of see beyond beyond that sometimes yeah, sometimes it's been a numbers game rather than a talent, skill, growth, mm. development game. But it is heartening to see there are plenty of schools who are, you know, taking a very different approach. There are plenty of trusts now that are and are really putting people planning at the heart of what they do. Uh, and I would love to see the whole sector do that over the next two or three years. That would be just fantastic. Indeed, indeed. And coming on to think about what what trusts and schools can can do to, you know, bec- become a, a great place to work or an employer of, of choice. Just just some sort of ideas. Say if you, you're a, you're a school leader and you've come back in January and you think everybody is on their knees already um, through through covid and, and, you know, morale is low. What what things could they be thinking about this year? Yeah, it's a tough, it's definitely a tough time, isn't it? And it's going to be, I think, for a little while, yeah, it's really hard. Um, 
I think the, the really important bit is to make sure that there's constant feedback and um, again lots of schools and trusts were good at this before the pandemic many got really sharp at it during the pandemic because they realized you know we really need to involve our staff understand how they're feeling talk to them about their well-being um, and yet we know from the education support network there's still an awful lot of schools that are not even doing basic surveys on that yet so really making sure we've got mechanisms in place to get the feedback from our staff what is it actually like to work in this school? What are the things we're good at? What are the things that we need to improve? Um, I always recommend independent staff surveys. And if you can use one that you can benchmark in the sector, even better. Because, you know, if you take workload, wherever I go, workload comes up as an issue in a school or a trust. But there are some where it's a significantly worse issue than others. So there are definitely others that are much hotter on it. And indeed, there are some where it doesn't come up as an issue, not many, but you know, some. So it's that ability to learn and also to challenge yourself, you know, actually, um, this doesn't look like a great result, but how does it look compared to others? Um, are we much better than others? Are we much worse than others? Is this something that we really need to put the spotlight on? So feedback from your staff is absolutely vital. And then, um, you know, coordinating that with what I just said, which is to have a plan and a plan that goes beyond an academic year, because you hope that people are going to stay for some time. Um, and you need to be recruiting and thinking about a longer term pipeline, you know, thinking about trainees, apprentices or whatever. So a plan that goes beyond one academic year, preferably three to five years. Um, and again, you know, school leaders know how to do this. They know how to do planning. They know how to do strategy. They do it all the time. It's just applying that thinking to your workforce. Because again, as I always say, you know, we, we have school improvement plans because we don't leave the children's education to chance. We know we have to have a strategy. We have to have interventions. We need to monitor, evaluate, shift course if it's not working, all those things uh, give people then objectives from it. It's applying that process to how we lead and manage our people. Um, and starting to think about people planning in that way. And then thirdly, the thing that makes the biggest difference to how it feels to work in our schools is the leadership dynamics of the school. Um, and indeed, of course, the trust. So making sure that we are prioritizing the development of leaders and, and the group of leaders that often get most neglected are the first line leaders, those middle leaders, and yet they're the most important. You know, I say to head teachers, you can be the loveliest leader in the world, but actually that isn't the case, especially in a large school with every single middle leader, that's going to start to be inconsistent. People's experiences will be inconsistent. You know, and it, again, if you look at all the data on, on workload, for example, and well-being, staff are still in our sector really worried to talk about their well-being and their workload. And yet the ones that do say sitting down with their line manager and working it through was a thing that made the difference. And yet they're, they're they're frightened to do that. So we need to really equip our middle leaders to be great people leaders. And that doesn't mean being soft, because of course you still have to set firm boundaries and performance expectations, but you also need to develop people, develop teams, get the best from them, help them manage the difficult times. Uh, and I think there's an awful lot more we can do in our sector on that one. So those are the three key things for me, constant feedback from your staff, have a long-term strategy and plan and really, really invest in your leaders, particularly middle leaders.
That's really useful. And I think, you know, that middle leadership role is so challenging, um, you know, often on, alongside kind of heavy, heavy teaching commitments as well. If you haven't seen it well modeled to you, um, knowing how to, to do that, um, you know, and, and I think it, it's it's a crucial point for people to to learn and understand the, the difference, let's be real here, about, you know, managing, um, you know, students or pupils and and then actually managing a peer, an adult, you know, in some, some cases, maybe somebody that's much older than you as well. Um, you know, that can happen too. Um, it just takes a really different skill set. And if those aren't explicitly developed in someone, then it then it is, it's gonna be a very difficult situation for all con- concerned. Um, and you know, you can't just assume that somebody is a great teacher that they will be a great manager. Um, and I think often that's the the situation that people find themselves in, just sort of expected to to know what to do. Um, so yeah, I think that's a really really important point to raise. And and thinking about um, you know that cadre of um, HR professionals, um, we, you know the the ones that you're encountering um, through your work. What are the the main challenges on on the horizon um, for for them and also the leaders they work with within trusts? Yeah, I mean, I think there's some big issues that uh, were probably bubbling before the pandemic, but have really risen to the surface. Um, And the people I'm working with, some of those big issues are around um, employee wellbeing and mental health. That's an enormous issue for most of the trusts and schools that I work with. Um, Many have done a huge amount during the pandemic to support staff, but are recognising that, you know, resilience is probably quite low at the moment. People are tired and it's still difficult. How can we continue to support people? But also, what can we learn from the experience to be better at this? Because quite frankly, we weren't great at it before the pandemic. You know, there were lots of signs before the pandemic that workload was too high. There were challenges for teacher mental well-being. So that's a real spotlight issue for the HR professionals I'm working with. And the other spotlight issue is diversity and inclusion. Um, And I'm doing a huge amount of work in that space with trusts, um, with some uh, collaborative partners and um, the trusts I'm seeing start to really make a difference here. I think of the ones that understand that, uh, you know, this isn't about a bit of tick box and let's have a little bit more um, visible diversity. It's actually about really creating ourselves as inclusive employers where everybody can be their authentic self and recognise an inclusion, feeling included is an emotion which means, again, this is about culture and leadership. Um, And if you get that right, your diversity initiatives will stick. If you don't get that right, diversity won't stick. You know, people will come, but they'll go, because unless you've really worked hard at the culture and they feel they can actually have a say, have an influence, it's not going to work. So um, really getting that cultural piece there right is um, a big issue, again, for a lot of the HR professionals that I work with. And I think, you know, just keeping pace with um, everything that has to change all the time at the moment is still quite tough, isn't it? Um, and that's a constant. It feels like that's not letting up. Every time we think we might be turning the corner, it's it's not quite letting up. And that, I think that is still a real challenge for HR teams at the moment, actually. They are working really, really hard to continue themselves to be in a strategic space. You know, working on well-being, workload, DNI, flexible working, really helping their trust to drive that on, whilst also at the same time having to be very reactive themselves um, constantly. Uh, and I know the HR people I've, I work with have 
you know, worked incredibly hard, really, really hard, just like school leaders have and trust leaders have. And it's a real credit to them, actually, that they're still doing that. Yeah, as you say, that's really difficult when you're kind of, yeah, we do want to introduce you know, big changes and these are issues that really matter to us, but the day-to-day takes over and then things don't progress and people say, I thought you really cared about this, but you know, you've had other, you've had other fires to fight. And I think we're interested, we're definitely, we're entering into a phase of the pandemic where different areas are affected differently, different schools are affected differently, and a lot more judgment is required from those leading because we aren't into sort of blanket school closure territory everybody's doing everything on this particular date kind of world any anymore I don't think I could be proved wrong as I often am when I try and talk about the future on the podcast but um, I think that's a lot harder for you know people have to make decisions based on what is going on in their in their environment rather than I think just the you know the level of operational challenge right now with staffing absences is you know for some schools that's a really significant issue isn't it um it's really tough it's really tough indeed and 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 the role of the the hr professional which you know is is relatively new in the in the education sector let's not not forget um how how is that changing and how might it develop further in the future yeah um I'm, i'm laughing because you know i remember being uh, I worked in a, uh, an LEA um, in 2002, delivering HR services to schools. Uh, so I've been knocking around in the sector on and off for a while. And HR's always been around, but absolutely a very different role, very different role. Um, bread and butter, pay, rations, mm. problems, reacting yeah. to problems, helping out when there's problems. Um, and actually not to undervalue those things because they do need to be done well and they do need to be done appropriately I think where there's been a problem is where HR starts to be the gatekeeper and uh, the gatekeeper of policies that are not not particularly people focused um, but actually are more about you know procedure yeah and um, that's the shift we've got to start to make in the school sector that we're creating policies that aren't about covering our back with procedure um, and, and, you know, basically um, kind of working towards the worst case scenario yeah. of that one employee out of thousands who may not behave appropriately, but actually are about creating great places to work that are forward looking, that are modern, that are about motivating people. And that's what that's the space HR needs to be in. So, you know, if you're a trust leader, you need somebody who thinks that way. Um, pushes that way, drives initiatives that way. If you've got somebody who's more traditional, I think you need to to tackle that and have that conversation and help them. Um, And as HR professionals, we need to absolutely be working with our top teams and be focused on school improvement, see ourselves as key people helping to improve schools. You know, Um, modernising recruitment practice, which has not been great in the sector, really modernising that the employment offer, helping to skill up those leaders so that they are great people leaders and that they're not having to lean on us and our procedures, but they're actually really skilled and know what they need to do. And then absolutely working on those really big fundamental issues we've just been talking about, which um, will help to, you know, make trusts and schools great places to work or indeed quite the opposite if, if you're not working on them. Uh, so it's a big agenda for the HR profession, but I think it's a real moment to grab it. And I think, 
you know, I've, I've worked now with hundreds of trust and school leaders across the land. And when I talk to them about this, what I, what I love is that they seem really hungry for it. They want this kind of support. They want to make this change. They want to have a really great people strategy and a plan. So I think the door's wide open. And that's why I also spend a lot of time developing HR professionals so that in a, in a sense, I'm trying to create both the supply and the demand, create the demand from the leaders, but make sure we've got that supply of great HR people who can step up and support them. And, and it's really heartening to see that is starting to happen now. And I, and I think what's really clear to me, particularly from this conversation, is the, the, the important sort of bridge that that person can provide um, between kind of pract- wider practice in HR and if they have that specialist knowledge of a school setting and can can work really closely with that, you know, as we've said, the school leaders' priorities, you know, around improvement and the pupil outcomes and just bring bring that together around around how people enable that, then then you have a magical a magical thing happening. Um, but it's you know it it sounds like a, a fascinating and challenging role, but also really difficult at, at, at times. And that's why it's great to hear um, you know you working um, with a community of people who are who are learning and developing um, in in that space because really really crucial really crucial um, role there. And um, is there anything that you'd like to mention to our our listeners before we close? Um. Yeah, um, I guess just to say that, um, you know, if anybody's out there and wants to, to chat this through, wants some support, um, I'm always happy to do that. Uh, it doesn't necessarily need to lead to business for me. If it does, that's wonderful, but it doesn't have to. I just want to help as many people as possible. Um, and just remember, really, that that key thing about um, have a strategy, a long term strategy and plan around your people. If you start to think about that and start to develop that, it shifts your thinking, it shifts where you, you are and it shifts what you want to achieve. And it starts to become really exciting then. Uh, and make sure you've got the kind of HR support that will help you deliver that. Um, yes, keeps all the bread and butter going for you, but actually really helps you deliver that people strategy. Um, and yeah, always happy to talk to people about that because it's uh, it's just such a passion of mine. Fantastic. Well, that is that is abundantly clear. And thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. And thank you very much for listening. Key Voices is produced by The Key, giving education leaders the knowledge to act. Members of The Key for School leaders can access hundreds of articles on the latest issues in education at thekeysupport.com. And please tell us what you think of the podcast. Rate, review and subscribe or email me at caroline.doherty at thekeysupport.com with your thoughts and suggestions. <laughs>